brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello, I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. And on this episode, we'll be looking at the future of work. For more than a year now, millions of people have been forced out of their offices to work from home. But is that a situation that's here to stay? Or a temporary blip, an aberration, as the head of Goldman Sachs puts it? To find out, I spoke to Kate Lister, president of Global Workplace Analytics, who thinks permanent workplace changes can benefit people, planet and profit. In terms of people, uh, it saves them three of their most precious commodities, their time, their money and their health uh, or sanity. <laughs> Maybe not during a pandemic, pandemic but sanity. Uh, it saves in the U.S. It saves about 14 days a year, the equivalent of, of 14 work days, uh, time they would have otherwise spent fighting traffic. Uh, saves them between three and five thousand uh, dollars. And in terms of their health, we there's all kinds of evidence to suggest that people are less stressed. They have uh, more time in their life for sleep, <laughs> uh, for family, and for other things that make them feel good. A lot of people have said that they don't miss traffic jams or, or rush hours. Um, but I wonder what about the physical working spaces? What does working from home mean for them? How will this impact city spaces, commercial property, local economies? Those are all good questions. Uh, things are changing very rapidly. We don't honestly know uh, where it's going to end. My own prediction is that about 25 to 35 percent of the workforce will be working from home at least one day a week in the future. And that's up from just over 5 percent uh, 13, 14 months ago. So a pretty significant change there. But the workplace environment is changing, too. The, the physical space will be more collaborative, uh, more tuned to people's social needs. And so home is become, becoming that place for focus. And the office is will become that place for collaboration and, and uh, the cultural uh, immersion that people need to feel like they're, they're part of an organization. So that means the spaces are going to get actually a little bit bigger, probably. We've gone through this period of densification where smaller, 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 smaller places that people work uh, now we're going to see that expand um, and we're going to see more activity based working. So you may not have an assigned seat in your office uh, and you will move throughout the office during the day to places that are most suitable for what you're doing. So you might be in a conference room for three people and then you might be in a uh, coffee area and then you might be in a, a private pod where you can actually concentrate. So it's going to be a very different place. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be that big a shift in the actual amount of space. We're also seeing that organizations are kind of moving to this hub and spoke model. So we might see the downtown area uh, get a little bit smaller, but places in, in suburban areas uh, grow up to accommodate the local population and to reduce the commute and to allow people to work closer from home, either from their own facilities corporate facilities or from co-working spaces. So a pretty dramatic shift. 
and certainly it's not going to be easy on the downtown businesses, the, the coffee shops and the dry cleaners and all of those places that relied on the traffic. Uh, but I think over time it will shake out. I'm, I'm hoping that, in fact, we can use some of that downtown space for uh, housing, uh, economic housing, something that we we sorely need. And that will be, bring back a whole different level of commerce. And we might see cities return to a place of art and a place of culture and the place where people go to uh, to enjoy themselves for things. Uh, when I first moved to San Diego, it was nothing to drive down to the city. It was a 20-minute drive, easy parking. Now you don't even want to begin to get on the highway anytime after 3 in the afternoon or before 9 or 10 in the morning. So, you know, I, I think it'll shake out. It's certainly not going to be easy in the interim. What you're saying is that the office atmosphere is going to change. You think it's, it's going to be more collaborative and there's going to be more hot desking. So people are going to be walking around the office far more than they, they're used to, which may be good for their steps every day. But how do you ensure that companies are getting the best out of uh, their home workers? Well, the real question is, how do you ensure that they're getting the best of their people who are at work, or who are at the office? The highest shopping time is uh, during working hours. So <laughs> it, <laughs> it shouldn't be a question of... Um, well, it's it perhaps easier to keep an eye on them when they're in the office. But if they're at home, how do you know they're not shopping all day? Well, you didn't know when they were at the office, right? <laughs> Some companies do. Uh, the idea of uh, managing by working or by walking around uh, hasn't worked for a number of years. People work best when they're when they understand their goals, when they have the tools and the technologies they need to meet those goals. And then so that when you means the when they're working from home, the companies will make them more goal uh, achievable. Is that it? Well, it should be everybody, not just the working from home. We need to be managed by results, not butts in seats. If I get my job done, if we understand, if I understand what my job is and we have goals and I meet those goals, then you should not worry when, where or how I do that. Kate Lister, the president of Global Workplace Analytics. Thanks for joining us on the agenda. My pleasure. So we've had quite a rosy picture painted there of home working by Kate Lister. But there are certainly problems that will need solving if working from home is to become the so-called new normal. I'm joined now by Dr. Hee-Jung Chung, reader in sociology and social policy at the University of Kent and leader, too, of the Working From Home During COVID-19 Lockdown Project. Uh, Dr. Hee-Jung Chung, your research has concluded that the pandemic has changed the way we work forever. So how exactly has that changed? A lot of the hesitations managers had prior to the pandemic about whether or not workers can work efficiently at home, a lot of their hesitations have disappeared largely due to the fact that despite it being the pandemic, workers have been showing huge uh, you know, levels of productivity and efficiency during uh, this period working from home, where actually they were able to carry out work even better than they were doing in the office in the midst of the pandemic. Um, it has also changed the preferences of workers as well. Many workers found that they actually really enjoy working from home. 
And especially because there wasn't much of a stigma around working from home during this period, uh, they would like to work from home in, in the longer future as well. So we, we expect that there will be, possibly not for all companies and not for all workers, but for many, real shift in the way we work from, um, from home or where we work, with many being able to work from home on a much more regular basis. David Malpass at the World Bank said, and to me rather surprisingly, uh, people are working too hard when they're working from home. Do, do your findings support that? So even before the pandemic, what we see is that despite the popular belief that working from home is someone just kind of in their pajamas all day watching daytime TV, actually the people who work from home work longer hours, they work harder as well. And there's two reasons to that. One may be because, you know, for many of us, you know, commuting times take up to about one or two hours, even maybe up to three hours a day, some of which people give back to their employers by carrying out work during that time. Another thing is that, as I said, um, there is still a bit of a stigma, even internalized stigma about working from home. So when you are not really doing uh, you know, a lot of work from home, you feel like, oh, am I slacking off? And it's more evident than, for example, if you were to do the same thing in the office. So, for example, you know, checking Facebook in the office, people wouldn't think much of it. But if you do it at home, it really feels like you're slacking off. Is there also, if it suits some professions more than others, is there also a sexual divide? Uh, does working from home suit men more than women or women more than men? Well, previous, prior to the pandemic, we've seen that it was men that were gaining the access to working from home more than women. And this is largely due to the fact that, again, the assumptions behind workers and their capacity to work from home, because our societies are still kind of under this male breadwinner and female caregiver ideas. Uh, employers thought that women, when they work from home, they don't really work from home, that they'll prioritize housework and childcare. That isn't necessarily the case, but that prohibited a lot of women from being able to work from home. During the pandemic, we've actually seen that there were more women working from home than men, again, because employers didn't have much of an option but to allow certain you know, women work from home. And to be honest, providing women or any workers with care responsibility, the capacity to control when and where they work, can be incredibly beneficial for allowing them to take part in the labor market and take part in the labor market in a much more longer hours basis. And again, you know, to, for example, address gender equality issue, whether the pandemic has changed the views of managers going forward is something that we'll have to see. Well, you talk about those outside the labour market. What about the unemployed? When the pandemic is over, are they going to be able to go back to work or work from home? They're going to have to learn new tricks? One good thing is if companies decide that working from home is going to be the norm and this is not just for like a day a week or two day a week kind of a gift but it's as the norm that where workers can work possibly even four or five days at home it really increases the opportunities geographic opportunities for job search for many unemployed and you need not necessarily be fixed to a location which provides opportunities both for workers and employers in terms of where they could search for jobs. And I think that would be a really good, positive impact. Dr. Hee-Jun Chung, many thanks for joining us on the agenda.
Of course, away from concerns over productivity and corporate culture, the mental health of employees working alone at home is perhaps one of the key issues which might leave people wanting to get back to the office. Well, here with me to explain more about the future psychology of work is Yasuhiro Kutera, academic lead in counselling, psychotherapy and psychology at the University of Derby. Uh, Yasuhiro, the pandemic has caused an enormous shift in the numbers of people working from home. What psychological impact has that had, do you think? There are many uh, psychological impacts. And what's unique in this time of working from home is that they are forced to choose uh, to work from home. So that includes, of course, you know, heightened uh, level of stress and also loneliness and also uh, depression and uh, anxiety and also substance abuse uh, has been uh, increasing. So those are uh, significant uh, impacts of uh, this uh, COVID uh, working from home. Is it possible, do you think, to separate the psychological issues of working from home from the separate but obviously linked problems many have in dealing with the outcomes of the pandemic, no shops, things like that? Yeah, yeah, it's a very, very important question. And then I think to do that, it is possible. And to do that, you need a couple of uh, tactics to, to do it well. Uh, for example, uh, if you look at NHS, uh, they recommend you uh, separate uh, working space in home uh, to create, you know, this is where you put your working switch on and this is where you uh, turn switch off. And also uh, make routine and follow the routine through is also an important aspect as well. That we need those kind of... Uh, uh, more uh, logistical uh, things to enable, uh, distinguish those two uh, fields. And many of us are also suffering from what is being called Zoom fatigue. Uh, tell us more what that is and what the psychological impact of that has been. Of course, yeah. Uh, Zoom fatigue uh, refers to uh, those uh, feeling of uh, tiredness uh, coming from uh, consistent uh, online video conference uh, meetings. And then that uh, can be explained by lots of uh, factors. Uh, for example, you know, we are uh, naturally uh, adapted to face-to-face uh, -face, uh, in-person communication, but now uh, we are forced to uh, do, use this uh, kind of uh, online video conferences that's very convenient and also can help our communication but at the same time that limits a couple of natural aspects of person communication for example uh, there's a research uh, about this uh, back channel signal uh, means that uh, when you are in real-time conversation you hear you know the uh, person who you're, you're talking to say mm -hmm, or yeah or showing uh, you know a facial expression those kind of things that are very limited in uh, zoom or video conference meetings and and that could create uh, our, our stress and, you know, more like, you know, unconscious level, the stress accumulates, uh, that kind of thing. So that's, uh, you know, uh, impacts of uh, Zoom fatigue. And how important is it for people to have that face-to-face -face connection uh, in the workplace? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the water cooler moments, they used to call them. Yeah, <laughs> that's very important. And if you look at linguistic research, they say that about one third of adult communication consists of this, uh, you know, informal chit chat. So chit chat is very important, and chit chat uh, leads to uh, more of connection uh, with colleagues and also uh, feeling, um, yeah, uh, safe in the workplace, which leads to pro-social workplace behaviors. But what's interesting is that this office chit chat could 
could uh, hinder our cognitive concentration, which uh, may bother uh, workplace performance. Uh, so yeah, research and at this point uh, reports both sides are positive and negative. All of this is very new for most companies, isn't it? Um, and yeah, some yeah, people yeah. have been cl- complaining they have to work harder when they're working uh, mm. at home. So are companies aware of this and are they taking action or uh, I- deploying strategies to help improve the work-life balance virtually? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really important that the company uh, should be aware of uh, the higher stress level that employees are going through now. Just, just you know, uh, being aware of it. And in some uh, innovative companies uh, take this as an opportunity to create trust, uh, workplace trust and the trust from employees to the company is really, really important uh, to maintain a long lasting high work performance. So, uh, for example, uh, companies in Netherlands, uh, for example, that uh, they send uh, vegetables and fruits to their home uh, regularly uh, to show all uh, care for their well-being. And also uh, another attempt I saw in Dutch companies is that uh, they host a cooking lesson for uh, employees to join. So they hire a chef uh, you know, cooking in front of Zoom and then uh, colleagues can see and a colleague can also follow uh, what they are uh, doing. Uh, that kind of attempt uh, may help to uh, foster a workplace uh, <laughs> trust. How can the companies help employees prepare themselves, perhaps psychologically, for working from work again as opposed to from home? Very, very important. Uh, I think is that, is that, um, that uh, our brains, you know, like familiarity. This uh, COVID uh, forced us to work from home. And now I think we built uh, for familiarity with uh, working from home. And now we are going to go back to uh, working in our, our workplace. And then our brain feels like, okay, this is where we've been working before. But uh, there are lots of new uh, procedures that must take place. Uh, for example, you know, washing hands or wearing masks, those kind of things. So, uh, yeah, our brains will probably get confused. Environmentally, it feels same. But the procedures are different, which, of course, leads to uh, stress uh, yeah, in, in our, our brain. Uh, so the companies need to be aware of that. You know, the back to the work. So now it's everything normal. That's not the case. That uh, yeah, in in our uh, psychology, uh, there is uh, more hidden stress uh, doing the normal uh, thing. So that uh, yeah, company needs to uh, approach this very carefully. Yes, Ahira Katira, many thanks to you for joining us here on the agenda. Of course, as well as working in an office or working from home, there is a third option the co-working space. So how might that option fit into a new working normal? Here with me is Mathieu Proust, the general manager for WeWork in the UK, Ireland and emerging markets. Mathieu, before the pandemic, um, WeWork and other co-working spaces appeared to be the future of work. Um, Has the pandemic changed that? That has definitely not changed anything. I think what we have seen over the last 10 years is a real trend for the flexibility. And what the flexibility means, uh, it means the flexibility for the companies that instead of taking a very long-term lease can take uh, something slightly smaller, 12 months, 24 months, or even just a month. But also the flexibility is the flexibility for the employees working potentially closer to home or working like in a space that is really inspiring with really like energizing you. So the pandemic, I think, has shown that like the office needs to have a new purpose and it's a new purpose of collaboration and energy. And we provide that. 
So will you have to change the actual geography of an office then to provide Not this collaboration, the new collaboration? No, I think what's interesting with the, the pandemic has shown us that I think people can work to an extent uh, from home potentially. And I think what we have seen with the companies that use our space all around the world is now there is a big discussion happening. And the discussion is a discussion between the employers and the employee trying to define what is the new model. And for some companies, the new model is going back to a main office in central London. But for some other companies, it's potentially having one office in central London scattered with, let's say, five or ten office around that, maybe closer what, to like the outskirts. like satellite offices, that kind of arrangement? Exactly. We call that the urban spoke model, and that's something that we are really seeing as a trend over the next few months. So what kind of companies use WeWork? Is it mostly SMEs, or are there large international uh, organizations as well? So WeWork is a very broad portfolio, right? We are present in more than 800 locations, 38 countries around the world. And to give you an idea, like, it goes from the freelance all the way to big enterprise company. More than 50% of the members using our space are enterprise companies, which are the large corporates that you are mentioning. And how much do you take into account the actual workers, the people who are doing this and uh, the changes they're going to have to make? What about their psychological well-being and what about their motivation? I think it's, it's straight on. It's super, super important as we go into the post-pandemic to really think about the well-being of the employees. And so what we're doing is really helping our member companies to have this discussion with their staff to make sure that they find the solution that are the best for them. But I think first thing first, I think we need, you need to come back to a safe and healthy environment, right? And I think we work as an extensive now experience into making our space COVID secure. And then from there, you can decide what kind of flexible arrangements you want, going closer to home or going into a collaboration space uh, that is here to really like force, enforce and improve the well-being of your staff. Is it also, Matcha, basically all just a compromise, uh, co-working? Because it's a mixture of working from the office and a working from home. So it's nothing really new. You're just splitting it up. I, th I think it's, ex it's, it's extremely interesting what you're saying. It's, uh, it's the future. And it's not. It's a discussion that has really started with the pandemic. And I think that has accelerated the trend. We started seeing companies before the pandemic jumping into a flexible workspace because they wanted to, to, to offer that flexibility to their employees. Now, I think all the companies around the UK, around the world, are having this discussion with their employees to define what's the best model. But what advice, Mathieu, would you have for any businesses who are considering co-working spaces uh, as a future way of employment? I think more than co-working spaces is flexible workspace. So I think, for, first of all, the pandemic has shown us that nothing is certain, right? And the future like, is always moving. So instead of having a, committing yourself to a very long-term lease of 10 to 20 years, why not joining a WeWork uh, as a flexible workspace provider? The second advice, I think, would be really have a discussion with your employees to define what is the good model for your culture. Some culture will be inclined to do remote only, some culture will do office only, uh, but some culture will do the middle. And I think it's that discussion that you need to have with your employee because the talent's attraction is essential and the culture in your company is essential. Mathieu Proust of WeWork, many thanks for joining us on The Agenda. Thank you, Stephen. That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda podcast. Next week, the vaccine rift will be finding out what's really behind the ongoing row about the rollout of the COVID vaccines across Europe. 
Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. You can also find us on CGTN Europe Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. Until next week, goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.